0: Welcome to another episode of On the Issues with Alain Ben-Mir. Today's guest is Marwan Muasher,
1: Vice President for Studies at Carnegie and former Foreign Minister and Deputy Prime Minister of Jordan.
0: In this episode, Alan and Marwan discuss the Israel-Hamas war, what exit strategy that can be envisioned at this time and what parameters will need to be established, what changes are needed among the Israeli, Palestinian, and American governments to enable a conducive negotiating process, and the current conflagration's impact on Jordan.
1: So again, thank you so much, my wife, for taking the time. I really, really appreciate it. There's so much so much to talk about with about what's going on in the Middle East. But I wanted to ask you first about your perspective. with the war right now as you see it. And do you see, do you, uh, do you envision some kind of an exit strategy that, that might be eventually adopted?
0: I'm... Uh rather pessimistic that the war will end soon. I think that uh, Israel, Netanyahu in particular, wants to prolong the war because the minute it ends, uh, he might be held accountable for what has happened. The United States shares still the objective of attempting to destroy Hamas, although that is becoming more difficult. And therefore, I do not see a... Uh, uh, a quick way out. The nature of the war might change uh, instead of uh, aerial bombing, uh, you know, carpet bombing that we have seen before. We are starting to see more targeted, uh, targeting uh, Hamas leaders, yes. etc. But still, the war, uh, unfortunately, will not end soon. The other... Uh, concern I have is that the conditions for the day after the war are also difficult to imagine. Uh, We have a situation or situations before where war in the Middle East has led to breakthroughs. Uh, uh, I uh, have in mind the October 73 war, which eventually led to peace between Egypt and Israel. I have in mind the uh, first Gulf War which led to the Madrid Peace Conference. Today, the the stars, I'm afraid, are not aligned. You have a U.S. administration which is preoccupied with presidential elections, and I don't see uh, the U.S. doing anything serious until after the elections, and who knows who will win. You have an Israeli government which uh, is not prepared, I think, to for any compromises uh, on the peace process. It is true that this Israeli government probably will be out in a year or so, but it is not clear that an alternative government is going to be more forthcoming on peace. Today we have a divide in Israel, not between the pro-peace and the pro or anti-peace camps. It is only between the pro-Netanyahu and anti-Netanyahu camps. And you have the Palestinian Authority, which has basically lost uh, almost all its credibility. It has not had elections since 2006. Uh, The world has changed since then, and the polls are clear that uh, the PA does not enjoy uh, almost any support among the Palestinian population. So I'm worried that the all three sides that are uh, needed for a settlement, uh, all three sides are either not ready or not able, uh, and and uh, and therefore, you know, the the light at the end of the tunnel for me is not clear at this point.
1: Yeah, um, no, I'm. I mean, I certainly share some of, most of what you are saying. the The question is this: you know, in the past. Like you said, uh, when uh, there is when there is a breakdown, so to speak, there is a possibility for breakthrough. Well, what happened in 1973 is a good example. Uh, but as I see in this particular war and what's precipitated the war is probably a bigger explosion from the Israeli perspective than even the 73 war. I mean the trauma the Israelis have gone through. And so the whole war started more driven by revenge, in my view, initially at least, than by what strategic objective, what that's going to be and how that's going to end. And to this day, as of this morning, Netanyahu is saying our goal is to eliminate Hamas, to get its leadership out of the out of the Gaza. Uh, and I also share with you the sentiment that. Uh, I don't believe that Israel would be able to eradicate Hamas as a movement, as a political movement is going to stay there. On the other hand, I can't see how Israel is gonna withdraw from Gaza and allow Hamas to come back and rebuild and uh, you know and reconstitute itself. So this is the predicament that Israel today is facing particular. But I also agree with you Hamas' tenure as as the Prime Minister is really limited. I mean, we are viewing very carefully if the election is for today or a month from today, uh, he will be, you know, I mean, defeated is an understatement. So the Israeli really, public just doesn't want to. So my, my thinking in terms of, okay, what where do we go from here? If, if we cannot go back to the status quo, which is in, almost inconceivable. Okay, so what is the roadmap for the future given exactly the circumstances and the conditions that you have uh, eloquently stated. that uh, there's three parties that are, one is preoccupied with the election, the other one is corrupt with the bone in the West Bank, and the other one is uh, a criminal who is facing charges and is terrified. And he, I think I share with you also the view that prolonging, he will, may very well want to prolong it in order to salvage some of his political um, uh, standing because, um, he knows where he's going to face in one form or another. Having said all of that, I and mean, then we, we both concur, the question is, we, since we cannot, at least how I see it, and I'd love to hear you, we cannot go back to the status quo. We have to create a new paradigm. What that's going to look like, and who is interested in making that a drastic change? In that regard, I feel both the Palestinians and the Israelis and the, and the United States wants to see change. I don't make it Netanyahu, I mean the Israeli as a public, the public want they want to see a, a, a change. And that change, you know, they've been talking about all kind of options, all kind of possibilities. If you concur with the fact that change need to occur in one form or another, in realistic terms, What kind of change can we expect in in realist, realistically speaking, because we just cannot go back as if nothing happened?
0: No, we cannot go back for sure at all. I do have in mind a new paradigm. I just uh, uh, question uh, how realistic that new paradigm, you know, might be achieved. I gave an address to the UN Security Council on December 29, in which I said, um, okay, uh, if the international community is serious about a two-state solution, a two-state solution that both sides can accept, not one side, then there are things that need to be done, and we need to learn from the lessons of the past. All or most processes uh, in the past regarding the Arab-Israeli conflict have not defined the end game. Uh, and by not defining the end game they were processes they were negotiations over process not over ending the occupation right if we agree that the two-state solution is the best outcome for both parties then we need to also to agree that the occupation needs to end because if the occupation does not end there is no possibility of a two-state solution and i have outlined a plan which I think is doable if, you know, if all sides adhere to it and if it is led by a willing United States. And the plan is along these lines. One, that the United States would uh, launch a process that defines the end game a priori before negotiations start which is an end to the occupation within a specified time frame, let's say three to five years. Two, that the United Nations would recognize a Palestinian state on the basis of the 67 borders a priori. Three, that settlement construction ends totally. If if the international community is ready to do this, then alone the negotiations become negotiations over steps needed to arrive at this outcome rather than negotiations over the outcome itself. Mm -hmm. And then you can present this plan to both the Israeli and the Palestinian publics, who today are not convinced there is a partner on the other side. But if there is such a plan that defines the outcome within a specified time frame, it might convince both publics that a two-state solution is still possible, and it might convince both publics to you know, elect uh, uh, differently than what they have been doing so far. And the, who, the question of who governs Gaza becomes one step along the road to this uh, achieving this plan, rather than an end game by itself. Because right now, if who governs Gaza is an end game, and we go back to the status quo ante, as we have seen, nobody's interested in, in governing Gaza. Uh, today, uh, in the absence of such a plan, the question I have is how realistic is this? Can we expect leadership from the United States in a presidential election year? Can we expect an Israeli government that is ready to end the occupation? And can we expect a Palestinian government which is representative of its people? These are big questions. Mm-hmm. But I also, in my address to the UN, I also said if these conditions are difficult to meet, let us look at the alternatives. Because the alternatives are very problematic. The first alternative is the American uh, position today, which is that the conditions for a two-state solution are not there today. So we replace that by the Abrahamic Accords with Arab countries. We wait for a you know, uh, a time when conditions are better and negotiations can resume over a two-state solution. The problem with this logic is that if conditions are not ripe today, what makes them ripe in five or ten years if settlement activity goes on? If today we have 750,000 settlers and in five or ten years they might become a million, If today separating the two communities is difficult, what makes it easier in five or ten years? The second alternative is mass transfer, which today is a real concern for Egypt and Jordan. And the logic there says that if Israel does not want to end the occupation and establish a Palestinian state, and if it does not want a Palestinian majority, and today there is a Palestinian majority in areas under its control, Some of them are Israeli citizens. Most of them are under occupation. Then the only alternative left for Israel is to try to affect a mass transfer. And what we have seen in Gaza suggests that Gaza has become uninhabitable. So even if the Palestinians don't want to leave, you know, uh, staying in Gaza has also become uh, very, uh, uh, very difficult. The third alternative, Is a continuation of the status quo. And and in my view, unfortunately, I believe that this is the most more realistic alternative, even if not the preferred one, is a continuation of the status quo uh, with violence, increased violence on both sides, both in Gaza and the West Bank. And we have already seen violence in the West Bank even before October 7. Uh, for some time to come, until the question becomes not one of of the shape of a solution, whether we have a one one state or two states, until the question becomes one of, of rights, equal rights, because if the Palestinians under occupation become convinced that they have no hope of establishing their own state, the only alternative they can revert to is to ask for equal rights. And then it becomes a question of equal rights, which is a very difficult question, even more difficult than occupation to deal with. Because, you know, you have to to address questions of apartheid, you have to address questions that are very, very problematic. Uh, Unfortunately alone, unless somebody like the United States steps in and lead such a serious process, unless that happens, I'm afraid the prospects for a two-state solution have become even, you know, not just more difficult, but almost impossible. And I'm afraid that we're going to start seeing a shift in the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, from one focusing on shape to one focusing on equal rights.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you made many, many, obviously extremely relevant points. And and um, I just want to touch on some of the things you have said. I think uh, when you say United States ought to take the initiative and present a, a, a framework, a framework for the two-state solution. I uh, Actually, I'm writing a piece today, and I'm adding, adding to that another dimension, that is, what is the incentive would be for the Israelis as well as for the Palestinians? That is, from my view... Israelis um, leave Netanyahu outside because I truly believe that Netanyahu is not going to be there in six to eight months from now, no matter what happens. Uh, and the polls, as I said earlier, you know, suggest very clearly that the Likud party and some and the some of the right-wing Israel parties are, are losing tremendously in any election coming. But that's beside the point. Going back to the United States proposing something like this is extremely relevant and correct. But I want to, my feeling is that what other incentive that Israelis should have in order to go along? And to that, I'm adding the uh, the Saudis Arabia uh, offer to normalize relations with Israel. That is, if the United States, this is the piece I'm running, I'm going to send it to you and I would love your comment on it. And the United States and Saudi Arabia come up with a framework and say, you know, the conditions are the current status quo cannot is not sustainable. The violence has only increased. Settlements have only expanded. And that basically Israel today is living by the gun. And this is going to continue to live by the gun, even much more so in, in months to come, years to come, if there is no solution today. And the situation will deteriorate to a point of basically of no return. And certainly, I mean, the option you mentioned in terms of pushing the Palestinians out. I mean, this is, uh, obviously, some Israelis would love to do that, to see that happen. But in my view, this is not something that's going to happen because there is so much international resistance to that. And Israel will be put in a very, very um, uh, untenable situation if this effort is to, um, you know, even begin, not alone materialize. So going back to this point then, if a framework is presented and saying the following, We have had 75 years of conflict. It is getting the relation between Israel and the Palestinian today is worse than ever before, going back all the way to 49. And this continuation of the conflict is not only affecting Israel and the Palestinians, but the entire region. It's affecting the Arab state, it's affecting U.S. US strategic interests in the Middle East. And we have to bring this to an end. That is unlike just talking behind the scenes about normalization of relations, talking about Biden. Actually, Biden, more than any his predecessor is talking more about two-state solution than any president before him. But if they actually put this publicly, now not appealing to the Israeli government or to a Palestinian authority, but to the public, the Israeli public, and say, look, this is what's going to happen, a two-state solution normalization of relationship with Saudi Arabia, which subsequently would lead to normalization of relations with many more Arab countries and many Muslim states for that matter. That's going to change the, 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 the whole dynamics of, of the conflict and certainly the, the, what actually will happen. That is, we my feeling is that we need the Israeli public, which is extremely unhappy with Netanyahu today. And they're demonstrating as of yesterday They want election today. They don't want to even wait till the war is over. They want election today. It is now, in my view, a pivotal moment in time where the Saudis and the United States could come up with, supported, of course, by the Arab League, also support from the EU for that matter, but the main players, the United States and Saudi Arabia, being presenting that to the Israeli public and say, you have a choice to make. If you're not going to accept now, without presenting any precondition, you need to sit down and begin negotiating process because that's going to take, it could take two or three years, it could take some time. But on the condition, however, they sit and negotiate in earnest because all your points that you mentioned is absolutely correct. It is extremely difficult. But this, what happened now, at with the with Hamas' attack and Israeli uh, horrible retaliation, Created conditions that cannot be can no longer allow us to reverse, uh, you know, gear and go back to where we want. And so, what you need is like like a, a political bombshell by the United States and Saudi Arabia to actually shift the dynamic completely and say, "This is your reality. If you don't accept that, then there is there's the kavod. There is the there is the incentive, but there also has to be." Uh, punishment, so to speak. The United States could, should make it clear that it can no longer give Israel, uh, you know, uh, you know, blank check. That the United States, at a minimum, begin to use its political sway and not support Israel on the international scene every time that that Israel is in, in trouble. Uh, so it could also the, the Arab states, Saudi Arabia, could also alert the Palestinians: time for you to sit down and think also in terms of the kind of concession. Necessary to be made. If we were to go along these lines. What do you think? What do you, what do you think? Would that well, have different it, kind of
0: impact? Yes. You're raising a very. Very important point. You know. What is it there. For the Israeli public to accept. What we are talking about. The question. We asked this question 20 years ago. alone, When I was foreign minister. What does the Israeli public want? It wants to be accepted in the region. It wants security forever in the region. It does not want further claims to Jaffa and Haifa and, you know, pre-48 Palestine. And it does not want a, a solution to the refugee problem that ends up with, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of Palestinians going back. We gave Israel all that in the Arab Peace Initiative. The Arab Peace Initiative 20 years ago promised collective security and peace agreements with every Arab state, everybody in the region, not just the Palestinians. No further claims. And an agreed solution to the refugee problem. Israel rejected that uh, uh, or did not take it seriously uh, 20 years ago. This is a perfect time if there is a serious initiative, to bring back the Arab peace initiative. Exactly. So if if, if there is to be, you know, an agreement between the Saudis and the United States, in which both parties, the Saudis and the United States, say the condition for this agreement, you know, is the conditions that, that, that existed in the Arab peace initiative, so that we arrive at a two-state solution that is credible for both parties, that ends the occupation, but that also gives Israel, the Israeli public the needed security guarantees it wants for the future. That, in the end, in my view, that, in the end, is what the Israelis want. They want security forever. They don't want to repeat what has happened on October 7th. Which is going to be repeated, I'm telling you. If we don't find a solution uh, soon to this, you know, violence is not going to end. We're not and it, will, it will take place in different forms. It doesn't have to be what happened on October 7th. But violence is not going to end unless the root cause of the problem, which is the occupation, is addressed. So we do have the elements for a deal, Anon. We do have okay. the elements. It just takes leadership to bring these elements together, and I am questioning whether the leadership exists particularly in an election year. And frankly, I'm also worried that if President Biden doesn't rewind the, the, you know, the elections, we're going to be faced with, you know, with with President Trump with a with a with a formula that he suggested, that doesn't work. Uh, uh, What he called the deal of the century. So we are in a tough spot. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nothing serious might happen before the elections, the the, the, the U.S. elections. Nothing serious will happen before an Israeli election. And the the Palestinian elections, in my view, are also a necessity because, you know, the present does not represent Palestinians. And so waiting until after the elections is not guaranteed to produce a serious peace process because it's going to depend on who wins the White House. And that, to me, is a major, major concern. No,
1: I mean, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, the election in the United States is a major factor. Uh, sometime, sometime, however, you know, an election, you a president sometimes takes a bold, bold action and if uh, he is able to swing it, quote-unquote, uh, that's going to be a major win for him in the election year. I mean, there's. I talk to some people in the State Department, they're not ruling this possibility completely but they say, you know, the question is how, um, how much more the United States is, is gathering more in terms of what is the prospect of of Netanyahu not staying? How soon they can end up the the fighting in Gaza? Because all of that, because if the fighting continues three, four more months, it will be too late for the uh, President Biden to make any take any significant move. So he would like to finalize it sooner than later. That's some of the argument they're making. Uh, so so uh, election in the West Bank. Absolutely, I proposed a while ago, you know, a transitional period. Once the fighting is over, then an election must be held in the West Bank. And, and I really, I agree that the Palestinian Authority will have eventually to take over both areas, the West Bank as well, but not Mahmoud Abbas. Newly younger Palestinian committed to peace, committed to two-state solution, actually run on that platform, so doing the Israelis in new election. If Gans is going to now today Gans could must have 40 members in the in the Knesset if he, if the election will be held today. He would have to also run on the premise that we are running, we must pursue a two state solution along with Yeshid, Yesh Atid, you know, with Lapid as well, who was clearly said that is the only solution just before he left office when he was um take care for prime minister uh, at the like, year and a half ago. So, so the, the elements are there, and I'm sticking to, to the point of of whether there's no return and how to be able and, and to, to utilize this, um, this influx. This is um, uh, the, the soft, um, I mean changing changing uh, conditions, and they will continue to change. The question is how soon we can capitalize That is, United States, Saudi Arabia, the Arab Peace Initiative, as you mentioned, I think it is is a pivotal. I mean, because when I was writing about it, to me, it's a de facto recognition of Israel under certain conditions. Of course, and it's a far cry from the three no's of Khartoum. Collective, uh, uh, yes. Recognition of Israel, not just by the Palestinians, but everybody. Oh yes, the Arab state as well. Many, most of the Muslim state. and I compare that to the three no's of the Khartoum 1960. September nineteen sixty seven, yeah. the three knows. Can you imagine the transformation from that to the Arab Peace Initiative in two thousand? as a world have changed, and it would have been almost inconceivable. And as as, as inconceivable that Arab Peace Initiative might uh, it, it was at the time, it is almost as it just as inconceivable today to think in terms of need to be revived, and that ought to be the foundation for the Saudis' approach. The Abraham Accord happened. Saudi Arabia is open. It's not it's no longer a secret. It is willing to sit down and negotiate normalization of relations with Israel as soon as the war, provided that Israel agreed to end the occupation and establish a Palestinian state. So these elements are there, and but your point is so well taken in terms of timing. Where are we now in terms of timing? I think. Israel and Palestine. I'm not as worried, but I do definitely concern about here the United States. So, so, but because of that, what can be done? What can be done not to pre- prevent the conditions from further deteriorating? If Biden is to wait until after the election, and
0: because the situation
1: will deteriorate,
0: we, we need alone. We need to change the mindsets of people, and we we don't have much time. Yes, and what Biden can do, in my view, is that and the Saudis is that both sides, the Saudis and Biden, insist that part of the agreement with the Saudis over a nuclear peace program, over uh, uh, over a defense treaty with the United States, and what Perucupi as include include the elements that we are talking about. Some people say that the Saudis are waiting for Trump to come, that they might have a better agreement with, uh, with Trump. I don't share that view. No. And I tell you why. If the Saudis want a defense treaty with the United States, which requires the approval of 67 senators, mm-hmm. you, can, you can sway some Democratic senators to vote for the agreement. If there is a peace element involved and you know that there is a group of 20 senators who believe in that if Mr. Trump comes, there is not one Democratic senator that will sign the agreement with this South.
1: They will That's not who- support him. They will not support. him. Yeah, absolutely so,
0: right. So Biden has a golden opportunity to start this. OK, exactly. Not necessarily end it, but start this. And. If their agreement with the Saudis is based on this critical Palestinian element, then I think it might change the views of the Israeli public and the Palestinian public. Then it might convince them that finally we are not talking about an open-ended process, but about ending the occupation and establishing permanent peace in the region. So there is that possibility. Now, is the president thinking along these terms? I don't know. I I think that the administration is already thinking of something, of a process after the war. But it cannot be an open-ended process like before. Nobody's going to believe that. If If the process is serious, it has to include the elements that we talked about. Is there a possibility of that happening? Yes. Is the possibility big? I'm not sure. Yeah, and and I think I think
1: you know the starting. This is the this is the point. I think even if he cannot finish it, but if it's presented the way you and I so talk about it, as I see it, you know, it's a framework that's coming from the the Arab state and led by Saudi Arabia, based on the you know, Arab Peace Initiative, uh, supported by the United States, and presented to the public. Uh, keeping in mind that neither Abbas, nor Netanyahu is going to be running the, their countries uh, within within months from now for that. But uh, the question is also, you said you know, not to spend too much time on, on the process, but to create a sort of a framework how to, what is going to happen the day after, and what kind of transitional period, and who is going to be in charge, both in terms of reconstruction, as well as in terms of peacekeeping. Uh, we, we 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 can we talked about that a lot before. You know, I mean, I I personally wrote extensively on the subject, but uh, but your your point is is very well taken. Um, uh, I really appreciate that. If I may, I'd like to ask you because uh, you know, no matter what happens, however it happens, as long as the Palestinians are involved, Jordan is going to be affected in one form or another. Where where do you feel Jordan, you know, stands today? I know, I mean, where officially in Jordan stands, but in terms of how Jordan would like to see this coming to some kind of a conclusion, ideally from one hand and realistically from another hand, from your perspective?
0: Well, official Jordan, of course, uh, alone, Uh, remains very, very concerned about the issue of mass transfer. I understand uh, uh, what you have said about the difficulty of it, but Gaza has made it clear to to the Jordanian official system, mass transfer is no longer sort of a theoretical scenario that it it might happen. That remains Jordan's main concern. And that Uh, means for official Jordan that the two-state solution is a must and must happen quickly. Public opinion is extremely, extremely angry. I cannot tell you how angry people are. uh, 25,000 people dead in Gaza. I mean, you might not see in America some of the scenes that we see here on TV scenes, but the, the situation is really... Uh, catastrophic, not just people uh, dying out of bombing. Now people starting to die out of famine, out of lack of medicine, out of uh, pandemics that are uh, starting to happen. So it's a very difficult situation. And the public opinion is extremely angry. uh, And there is a lot that needs to be done after the war in order to convince that public that peace is possible, frankly. I think you might see also a, a similar situation on the Israeli uh, public today, which is also extremely angry. But we have a, a huge difficulty, if not impossibility, of bringing the situation back to the status quo. Ante. As you said, it's impossible. You need a new paradigm. We cannot operate according to the old paradigms. They are finished. And a new paradigm has to convince both publics that peace is possible, but peace is possible within terms that are acceptable for both sides, not for one side, no. of course. Both sides have to have to, you know, be convinced of the agreement. And and again, the parameters that you and I talked about, I think, present such uh, a shift uh, in paradigm. Once again, as long as there is uh, leadership uh, to do this and do this quickly, we don't have much time.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. It is no doubt. It is also it is a crisis of leadership, and and that that is that is a key. That is nothing actually will change in Palestine or in Israel itself, unless there is a new leadership. And that is really the, the, the key here. So any plan presented by wherever, wherever it comes from, that's going to require receptive leadership on both sides. And because any kind of solution, obviously must be mutually gainful, mutually acceptable, mutually supported in every which way, without which it will not be sustainable. Uh, uh, and I, I absolutely share with you, I'm, I don't know if um, we didn't meet, I was in Jordan the day after the attack on October 8th. This whole concept of Jordan is Palestine is becoming a lot more, somewhat revived, quote unquote, a little bit. At least the concern of the Jordanian, that Jordan is Palestine is a- concern is real. It's not real, uh, it's real. It is real, albeit you know, right now the fighting is in Gaza, Yes, of course, there's a uh, uh, rise in violence, needless to say, of course, in in the West Bank. So this is a legitimate concern, legitimate concern. And it is uh, the Israelis, a new government in Israel. I think that has to be first and foremost in its agenda. We are not talking about Jordan Palestine. That has to be abundantly made clear to calm the relationship between Jordan and Israel have been deteriorating for some time now. Since uh, you know, Netanyahu came to power basically for nearly 16 years now um, and, uh, you know, so, so the, and, and has done really very little to improve the relationship, bilateral relationship with Jordan, which is very troubling so, you know, it's, it's, uh, given, given how important Jordan is. Because again, no matter what sort of the solution, we look with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, security will impact Jordan. Jerusalem has impact on Jordan. The borders have impact on Jordan. Demographically, impacts impact Jordan. So there is not a, a concern about the refugees impact Jordan. What to do with the settlement impacts Jordan. So there is no such a solution that Jordan is going to be not concerned about. Jordan is very much in the mix, no matter what happens. And so any solution we have to factor in Jordanian national interest and how that's gone, because Jordan's support, in my view, is pivotal, is a critical to any kind of solution between Israel and the Palestinians, because it's going to have direct and indirect uh, effects on on Jordan itself. So that's, that is the, no question. is a very legitimate concern and, and need to, for any Israeli government, need to be begin to mend mend relationship with Jordan, which is critical, is the most critical as far as Israel is concerned, you know, given the long border, given the concern about security in the Jordanian Valley, and all all of that is going going with it. I mean, you know, we're talking about uh, a conflict that has been in 75 years, and I always, somebody told me that, it's not the time, it is not the right time. (laughs) And my answer is, tell me, when is the right time? When that's right, because the longer now we wait, we have it. The longer we waited, look at what happened 75 years later. The unthinkable actually took place. The unthinkable. And I agree with you. It will not be the last time if there is no agreement. So, you know, so at least a horizon in terms of where do we go from here after this horrifying war that has inflicted so much pain, so much sacrifice, so much destruction, so much death. It's, it's, it's unconscionable what happened. Um, albeit what Hamas has done was also unconscionable. But they, uh, to me, you know, the, the, the way initial initial bombing Sam um, so sad to say was was indiscriminate uh, because the, the the rage that Israelis have experienced as a result of that. So um having said all of that, <laughs> I've never lose up to that that it the inevitable yeah, the inevitable must be faced by both sides. Do we, do we want to kill each other for another 75 years? Or do we want to settle for the inevitable? We coexist. We have no place to go. We cannot kill each other. We cannot eliminate each other. They might as well face the bitter reality and learn how to live together as, as neighbors. I mean, when will they come to their senses? Yeah, it's going to take visionary, strong, uh, courageous leadership on both sides to say enough is enough. You know, that's that's the whole thing. Um, you know, I, I is there anything else that like, like you like to to add to this or that? Would like to conclude
0: that no, from your perspective? I, I think I think we talked about the the needed parameters, and we don't talk also about the difficulties alone. Let's just hope that uh, people, as you say, will come to their senses.
1: Um, <clears throat> anyway I, uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time I really appreciate it thank you for listening to this episode on the issues you can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page and stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements